Father in heaven, we thank you for providing us a place to meet and where we can come together for prayer and for the study of your word. Bless us now as we study from Romans 8 again this evening. May it give us a special blessing. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we are going to start here in Romans 8, and we got through verses 1 through 4 last week, and we spent a fair amount of time talking about the concept of what it means for there to be no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, and how that the phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, is the key to understanding the phrase, what it means to no longer be under condemnation. And the, the phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, we see again at the end of verse 4. And so in verse 1, those who are in Christ Jesus walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And in verse 4, the righteousness of the law that is fulfilled in the believers, they have the experience of walking not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So the point is, is that you are in Christ and his righteousness is in you. And those two pieces together are a demonstration of what it means to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So <clears throat> when Paul says, you are in Christ Jesus, that is not a light saying. It actually means that Christ's righteousness is also in you. How do I know that? Because those who are in Christ Jesus walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And in those who have the righteousness of Christ fulfilled in them, they also walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Does that make sense? So it's sort of a repetition here. And of course, we spent a considerable amount of time talking about the importance of Christ coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. And because he did that, he condemned the power of sin in our flesh. And the emphasis of Christ coming in human, human flesh is on the emphasis of the similarity to us, not the difference. And I was actually talking to someone last week after the study, and they, made, they brought up a good point. And the question is, why does, the, why does Paul use the word likeness to describe Christ coming in hum, human flesh? And the point that he brought out, which I thought was an interesting one, is that Christ was still God, but he was a human being as well. So to say that he was 100% completely us is true, except that he was also God and none of us ever will be. And so you have to show that, hey, he was basically just like us, except remember, he still is God. And so the word likeness helps to denote that. But in his humanity, there was no difference. Um, he came and was tempted in all points like as we are. And you can't be tempted in all points like as we are if you're different. 
That, that wouldn't make any sense. Right. And of course, it's being fully human and fully God, yet in Philippians 2, we see that he emptied himself. And in the Desire of Ages, Ellen White tells us, when Christ was on the stormy sea, he rested not in possession of his divine power, and he relied on the power of the Father to calm that sea. So he didn't use any power that is not available to each one of us, and yet he was God. So those are the first four verses of Romans 8, 1 through 4, which we spent the entire time on last time. So it's a brief review. And the key point is this. To no longer be under condemnation means that you are not facing condemnation in the judgment. And if you're not facing condemnation in the judgment, that means that Christ considers you to be righteous, which means that you have been justified. And so when you are no longer under condemnation, that means you have experienced justification. And Paul has explained what justification by faith is throughout the book of Romans, up until Romans chapter 8, when he gets to the point and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. And what does it mean to be under no condemnation, it means to be in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? To walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So these are some things that we've studied. And of course, in Romans chapter 6, we see the concept of justification being linked <clears throat> to being dead to sin. And we've studied that. We see how in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 6, our old man is crucified with Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin. Verse 7, he that is dead is freed from sin. And the phrase freed from sin again means justified in the marginal reading. So justification are those who the old man has died. They are dead to sin. We see that again in Romans 7, the first four verses, that we are married to another, even to him who is Christ. And the only way to be married to Christ is for the old man of sin to be crucified with Christ. So in a nutshell, we get to Romans chapter 8, and <clears throat> we see the concept of no longer being under condemnation. And those who are no longer under condemnation are those who are justified by faith. Those who are justified by faith have the experience of being dead to sin, of being crucified with Christ. And they are in Christ Jesus. They walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And the power of walking not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, comes from Christ, who gives us that power, because He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned the power of sin in our flesh, so that we can walk after the Spirit and not cave in to the power of our flesh, even though we live in fallen human natures. So Christ has shown that it is possible to live a victorious life. So <clears throat> let's move on now, continuing on in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, here's again the concept of the flesh and the spirit. 
And if you're after the flesh, you mind the things of the flesh, or you pay attention, or you follow after the things of the flesh. But if you are after the Spirit, you follow the things of the Spirit. Now, have we seen a demonstration of someone who is after the flesh, who minds the things of the flesh, who follows the flesh? Exactly, in Romans chapter 7. And in verse 18 of chapter 7, Paul says, I, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So, <clears throat> here is someone who, in his flesh, sees that there is no good thing in there. He has a des desire to not go after the flesh, but he doesn't have the power to go against his flesh. And again, it goes back to the concept of being carnal, sold under sin. So you are a slave to sin, or a slave to the flesh, if you will, because the old man of sin dominates your life, and so you do the things that you don't want to do, and you don't do the things that you want to do, which is the perfect description of a slave. That's what it means to be carnal, sold under sin, and that is not righteousness by faith. That is the pathway to condemnation and the judgment. So Paul says, they that are after the flesh, do you mind the things of the flesh? But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. And Paul's going to get into a description of what it means to be after the spirit and to mind the things of the spirit. And then if you, if you ever wanted a crystal clear answer on whether or not the Roman 7 man who is carnal sold under sin is the right or the wrong experience on the way to heaven, look at verse 6. Romans 8 verse 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So where did we see the word carnal before? Again, we saw it in Romans chapter 7. I am carnal, sold under sin. And what does the carnal man do? Well, he's a slave to sin. So he does the things he doesn't want to do, because his slave master, the old man of sin, says, do that. Break God's law. No, I don't want to, but no, you have to. Okay, I'm slave to sin. I'm sold under sin. This, I'm in bondage to it. I can't do what I want to do, and I do the things I don't want to do. That's the carnal man. And Paul is saying in Romans 8, verse 7, he says, the carnal mind is... Or in verse 6, he says, to be carnally minded is death. And in the verse 7, he goes on to say, the carnal mind is enmity against God. So if the carnal, to be carnally minded is death, and if the carnal mind is enmity against God, and Romans 7 defines for us that the carnal man does the things he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do the things he wants to do, that clearly is not a righteous man on his way to heaven. Because Romans 8 clearly says, a man who does the things he doesn't want to do and doesn't do the things he wants to do is 
a carnal man, and that is death, and that's enmity against God. Now, if you come to the judgment and you have a carnal mind, in the judgment, this is what the verdict is going to be. The carnal mind is death. And Paul also says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. So the carnal man is committing sin. Let's diagram this here. <clears throat> so in Romans 8, to be carnally minded, boy, this isn't a good marker, but we'll use it. Carnal mind is death. And the wages of sin in Romans 6.23, is death, okay? If the carnal mind is death and the wages of sin is death, that means the carnal mind and sin are related to each other. And what does the carnal mind do? He does the things he doesn't want to do. And he doesn't do the, let me say this again, he doesn't do what he wants to do, and he does what he doesn't want to do. So, carnal mind, Romans 7, experience, and according to Paul, he is saying that's the wages of sin. And either way, the end result is death, which means you don't have the experience of Romans 8, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so, <clears throat> to be carnally minded is also the same as walking after the flesh. So... <clears throat> If you're not under condemnation, you're not walking after the flesh. But if you are under condemnation, you are walking after the flesh, <clears throat> which means that you have a carnal mind and you're committing the wages of sin, and the end result is death either way. So I don't know how many different ways we can show from the book of Romans that <clears throat> you cannot be justified while you are sinning. It's impossible. Paul makes it so clear. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's the Romans 7 experience. And then and he's making verses 5 and 6 are sort of like an ABAB pattern, which um, Bible writers like to use. So verse 6 is they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. And then you have they that are after the spirit in the second part of verse 6. And then in verse 7, you have to be carnally minded. Let me make sure I'm on the right. No, verse, I'm sorry, verse 5, they that are after the flesh is part A. And then part B is they that are after the spirit. And then verse 6, part A, is to be carnally minded is death. And then part B is to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So... Paul is basically saying, if you are after the flesh, it's the, it's the same as being carnally minded. <clears throat> so you see that comparison as well. Verse 5, after the flesh or after the spirit. Verse 6, you're carnally minded or you're after the spirit. So either way, if you're after the flesh, 
or if you're of a carnal mind, that is death, and the wages of sin are death, and the carnal mind is the Roman seven man who is sold under sin. It's pretty clear. So I still do not understand how the evangelical Christian gospel teaches that you are saved in your sins, covered by justification while you keep sinning and have the Romans 7 experience. Someone's not studying the Bible in a clear way. I think they're sincere, but just sincerely wrong. And in verse 7, it says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Now, <clears throat> where have we seen the word enmity, uh, it's throughout the Bible, but where's the first place you see it? Genesis, Genesis 3.15. So the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's the Romans 7 experience. The Romans 7 experience is enmity against God. And yet the first promise of God was, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. So let's put this here this nice word enmity the power of the gospel the first promise of the gospel is that God is so powerful that he will put enmity between the devil and his people or God's people which means that if God puts enmity between the devil and God's people, that means God is powerful enough to put a stronghold over the power of the devil and his people. And in Romans 8, we see that it's the carnal mind that is at enmity against God. So, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, <clears throat> what did God do specifically to counteract the enmity of the carnal mind against God? Because here's the problem. Naturally speaking, human beings will develop a carnal mind that is at enmity with God. That's going to be the natural development of a human being who doesn't choose to follow God. According to the flesh, we're going to develop a carnal mind, and that's enmity against God, and that is death. So the carnal mind is enmity against God. So in, if you're at enmity with God, you're on the same side as the devil, and this enmity in our lives, in our carnal minds, is a power that's between us and God. So what power do we see in Romans 8 that God did to destroy that enmity? He sent his son, and how, what about his son destroyed the power of that enmity? He sent Jesus Christ, his son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, which is being carnally minded, but after the spirit. So notice what happens here. So those who have a carnal mind are at enmity against God. And in order for God to cancel out this enmity, he had to send Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, Jesus had a fallen human nature. He never developed um, or chose to sin. Um, and so it would be fair to say that he did not develop the habitual propensities of those who have a fallen carnal mind. That's true. But he did have a fallen human nature, which includes the mind. Because 1 Peter 4, 1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. So Christ knows what it's like to be tempted, and the temptations start in the mind. The carnal mind, though, is someone who goes against... So those who are carnal, those who don't do what they want to do, and they do the things they... Let me say this again. It's easy to mess it up. They do the things they don't want to do, and they don't do the things they want to do. Christ never had that experience, because he walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, even though he had to contend with the flesh. And he showed us that even if you have to contend with the flesh, you don't have to walk after the flesh. You don't have to develop a carnal mind. And because Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh, he destroyed this power that puts us at enmity with God. He showed that it's possible to not develop a carnal mind, but rather to walk after the Spirit. So we can be thankful for that. So what we see is... They that are after the flesh and they that are carnally minded are under the experience of death. So to be carnally minded is death. The wages of sin is death. That means to have a carnal mind is to be committing sin. And that means you're at enmity with God. But yet the promise of the gospel is that God said he would put enmity between the devil and God's people. And because God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, there is now power available for us to be not at enmity with God, but because if we have the righteousness of the law, which is Christ's righteousness fulfilled in us, not outside of us, we can be at enmity with the devil. So notice how the power of God changes what seems to be inevitable. We're fallen human beings. We, all of sin come short of the glory of God. We develop a carnal mind that does the things we don't want to do, and we don't do the things we want to do. And so now we're at enmity with God. But the power of the gospel is this. Jesus sent his son according to the... Uh, according to the seed of David, according to the flesh, that's Romans 1.3, or he sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh. And because of that, there's power available to us, even though we are weak in a fallen human nature. And now, instead of being carnal sold under sin, being a slave to sin, we can have Christ's righteousness in us. And instead of being at enmity with God, 
were at enmity with the devil. So that's very good news. Dwayne, you had your hand, and then Corbin. Yes. The above man, the carnal mind of man, mm -hmm. one who's associated with the wages of sin of death. Right. In, in Romans 5, they are called the enemies of God. Mm. And it says in Romans 5 that while we were yet the enemies, yep. Christ died for us. That's right. This is the supernatural act on the part of God to place enmity into the realm of those who are sold under sin and right. That's right. That's very good. So in Romans 5.10, I believe, it says, and there's yeah, a few verses in there, but when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Um, Courtney, you had a comment. Right, right. Sure. Right. So obviously, you're either at enmity with God or at enmity with the devil. That's your two choices. So the the enmity with the devil is to walk after the spirit, and the enmity with God is to walk after the flesh. And God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, so that we don't have to walk after the flesh anymore and to be at enmity with Him. But if His righteousness is fulfilled in us because He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, we can be at enmity with the devil rather than with God. That's the power of the gospel. In a nutshell. I mean, with that we could just go home and that's the end of the study. We're at enmity with the devil now when we have the power of the gospel in our lives. So, verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So here Paul is talking about the law of God all the way in Romans chapter 8. So please don't tell me that the law of God was nailed to the cross. Why? I mean, people talk about how Romans defines what the gospel is. Hey, I mean, I believe the whole Bible does. Don't narrow it to one book. But I'll be glad to study with you the definition of the gospel from the book of Romans just alone. Let's just break down Romans and define what the gospel is. And in the book of Romans, when you get to the peak of the book, here we see the law of God. So the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. So what's the carnal mind? Doing the things it doesn't want to do and not doing the things it wants to, which is, as we've already described, the wages of sin, which is death. And that means... The carnal mind is committing the wages of sin. It's also walking after the flesh. And it's also breaking the law of God. So now we see that <clears throat> it's still the law of God that points out what sin is. How could there be sin if the law was nailed to the cross? Have you, have you ever thought about that? And people say that the law of God was nailed to the cross. Um, so how do you know that it's wrong to go and rob the bank? I mean, if the law was nailed to the cross, who's going to define what, what sin is? You would have license to do anything. Yeah, you would have license to do anything. And of course, Ellen White tells us the whole purpose for that argument is to get rid of the Sabbath. That's the bottom line. 
the purpose of saying the law was nailed to the cross is to get rid of the Sabbath. But the bottom line is the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. That means it's breaking the law of God. And neither indeed can be. Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you're carnally minded or you're in the flesh, you're at enmity with God and you are not pleasing God. So those who love God will want to please him. There is such a thing as pleasing God. And those who see what Jesus did for us how he came in human flesh, how he died for us on the cross, and we see his immeasurable love for us, we will certainly want to please him. Now, we know that that doesn't earn us salvation, but at the same time, we know that if we are not pleasing him, we are not in a saving walk with him. So those who love God will please God, and that means they will not be in the flesh. And it's, of course, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, pleasing God, keeping his commandments. Verse 9, continuing on, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, the question is this. Paul's talked about not walking after the flesh, but instead walking after the Spirit. Well, how do I walk after the Spirit? How does Paul define that? And he does so here. Well, in verse 1, he talks about those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a definition. In verse 4, it's when the righteousness of God is fulfilled in us. In verse 9, specifically, it's the Spirit of God dwelling in us. So, if... We are walking after the Spirit. What it means is here is, um, well, I'm, I'm not an artist, so I'm not going to draw a person. But anyway, this isn't a very, this marker is dying. Oh, well. So the Spirit is in us, those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Notice it's not outside of us. It's in us, which is similar to the righteousness of God being fulfilled in us. And it's similar to the concept of us being in Christ Jesus. So those who are not in the flesh but in the Spirit have the Spirit of God in them. And I just wanted to point out in another place in Paul's writings, this is a... <clears throat> beautiful passage found in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. What does it mean to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? And we all know this verse, but it's helpful to make connections when we're defining what righteousness by faith is in the book of Romans. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 16, it says that he, or God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So notice this. It's God's spirit in the inner man. You see that? So this is God's spirit in the inner man, it's not outside of you, it's inside of you, in the inner man. 
and this is the riches of God, God's glory, and we are strengthened with might. So this isn't some weak power that comes in. We're strengthened with might, and it's the riches of God's glory. And then continuing on, Paul develops this theme. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now we know that Christ, once he became a man, cannot be everywhere at once. So how does he dwell in us? It's through his spirit. So it's Christ dwelling in our hearts by his spirit through faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Notice this, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So when the spirit is in us, and this is what it means to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. We see in Romans 8 that it's the Spirit of God that dwells in us when we walk after the Spirit. When the Spirit of God dwells in us, that's the same thing as Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. And when that happens, we are filled with all the fullness of God. And in verse 20, when we are filled with all the fullness of God, we see what God does in our lives. We see now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, not outside of us, in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So Paul in Ephesians 3, same author, gives us a nice description of what it means for the Spirit of Christ to dwell in us. Or, in other words, to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. It means for us to be strengthened with might by God's Spirit in the inner man. Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. When that happens, we're filled with all the fullness of God. And God does in us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, how would you like to live a life like that? It's not the life of, man, I just keep messing up all the time. I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do, but I guess that's just the way the Christian life is. No way. When you walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, you are strengthened on the inner, in the inner man, according to Ephesians 3, Christ dwells in you by faith. You are filled with all the fullness of God. And when God's Spirit is in you, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. In Romans 7, you're like, you know, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. But when Christ comes in, He does exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. In and of yourselves, you don't see the power to be able to live a righteous life by faith. But when Christ comes in, he does exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And Ellen White says, higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children, and he supplies that power. So, <clears throat> I always like to make a little bit of a prophetic component to the study of Romans, and we've done this many times, but it, it's, it bears worth repeating over and over again. So here's the concept. 
walking after the Spirit is to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, which is the same thing as having Christ dwell in our hearts by faith in Ephesians 3, which means then that we're filled with all the fullness of God, and when that happens, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think in our inner lives, not just outside of us. Does this ring any bells with what we've talked about, about Christ dwelling in us throughout the book of Romans and connecting to the book of Revelation? Sure it does. Revelation 10 is the mystery of God being finished during the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And the mystery of God, according to Colossians 1.27, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the experience of the second advent movement is to have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, or Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, so that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, so that God could do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So Revelation 10:7, mystery of God being finished while the seventh trumpet is sounding, that began in 1844. So God raises up a second advent movement to have a bunch of people through which he can do exceeding abundantly above all that they could ask or think, and in whom he can fill himself with all of his fullness so that he will be a complete representation to this world. Now, it's interesting, in the book of Colossians 1.27, the mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in Colossians 2, verse 9, speaking of Christ, it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And if he comes into your heart by faith, you're going to be filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, which is what Paul says in Ephesians 3. So, how would you like to have that kind of an experience in your life? Instead of having the Romans 7 experience, so that by the end of Romans 7 you say, O wretched man that I am, which is the same as the Laodicean experience, which is a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked experience, which means you're not covered with the righteousness of Christ. Instead of having that wretched experience of being carnal, which is to be at enmity with God or to be after the flesh, so you're sold under sin, you're committing the wages of sin, so you're under condemnation in the judgment. Instead of having that experience, you let the Spirit of God come into you. And it's just, it's interesting that the same message to Laodicea where Jesus says, that you're wretched, he says, if any man will hear my voice, I will come into him. So we all know this, but it's interesting to see how it connects to the book of Romans. Christ wants to come in. When he comes in, remember, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. When he comes into us, we are filled with all the fullness of God, and then God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So what does it mean when Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you walk after the Spirit, according to Romans 8 verse 9, the Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, according to Ephesians 3, so you're walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh, Christ dwells in your heart by faith through His Spirit. 
So you're filled with all the fullness of God, so then God does exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. That's what it means to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Comment. Right. Right. So through our flesh, God is manifested in our lives. And it's interesting, of course, the devil doesn't like this concept. So those who teach it, some people attack this teaching by saying, oh, you're teaching the holy flesh movement or the holy flesh doctrine, not the movement, the doctrine. So they say you're teaching holy flesh doctrine. Well, let's be clear here. Holy flesh teaches that once you receive holy flesh, you cannot sin, and that whatever you do is sanctified. And they say that any type of sin that you can think of is not a sin if you have holy flesh. We're not teaching that. What we're teaching is this. When Christ comes into us, and this is a biblical concept, when Christ through his spirit comes into our lives, we don't sin. So we're not going to say, oh yeah, we have holy flesh, so now we can go do whatever we want and break God's law, but we're, we're saved under holy flesh. And that's the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The ironic thing is the people who say, oh, if the Holy Spirit comes into your life and fills you with all of his spirit so that you live a righteous life by faith and you don't sin at all, and they say that's holy flesh teaching, what they say is you're covered with Christ's righteousness but it's okay if you keep sinning. And in reality, their teaching is much closer to the holy flesh doctrine of being able to sin, but you can't sin because you have holy flesh. That's basically what they're saying. They're saying you're covered with the righteousness of Christ, and even though you're sinning, it's not really a sin. And that's what basically holy flesh people teach. And according to the Bible, what we're saying is this. When Christ comes into you, and we're filled with his spirit, we do not sin because he's living out his life through us. And that's a big difference than saying, oh, I'm covered, but I'm still sinning and saved. So I just had to throw that out there. Let me see how we're doing on time. Actually, we're, we're going to wrap up here in a minute to, to have prayer time because <clears throat> but I do want to get to um, verse through verse 11. So starting in verse 10, and if Christ be in you, so here's the mystery of God. If Christ be in you, which is the mystery of God, which is why God raised up a second advent movement to have a group of people with this experience. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. So if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, which is basically the same thing as saying in Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, which is Christ. So when Christ comes in, the old man is crucified with Christ. Romans 8, 10, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. That's the old man of sin that is dead. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So now you walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So, in other words, to walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit is the same thing as being crucified with Christ. And when you are crucified with Christ, 
I no longer live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, which is the faith of Jesus. And we've, I'm not going to take the time to show today, but we've shown clearly that Galatians 2, 16 through 20 is the experience of justification by faith. To be crucified with Christ is to be justified by faith, his faith. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And now Paul's connecting to things that he said before. Romans 6, he said, therefore, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So Christ is raised up from the dead, and just as he was raised up from the dead, we're raised up to walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6, verse 4. Romans 8, 11, it talks about how the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead will also quicken our mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in us. So once again, when we walk in newness of life in Romans 6, verse 4, that's the same thing as his spirit dwelling in us, which is this whole concept of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith, being filled with all the fullness of God, and God being able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So, the last thing that I'm going to point out then is this, <clears throat> and then we'll pick up from verse 11. Angie said that it's okay to take time to finish chapter 8, so chapter 8, there's just so much it's going to take a month probably to get through it. But let's look at Romans chapter 4, verse 24. <clears throat> this will be our last point. It may take a couple of minutes to diagram this out. In Romans chapter 4, we see that righteousness was imputed to Abraham because he was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That's justification. In verse 24, it says, or 23 and 24, it says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So righteousness will be imputed to us if we have a certain experience. What's that experience? If we believe on God who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what happens when Jesus... Is or what, what are we believing when we believe on him who raised up Jesus from the dead? Chapter 6, verse 4, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and we walk in newness of life. So in order to have imputed righteousness, we're believing that the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up to walk in newness of life. Do you see that? So R Romans 4, if we believe... Righteousness will be imputed to us. What do we believe? That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we can have newness of life. Well, what's that newness of life? It's Romans 8.11. Christ was raised from the dead, and the Spirit that raised him up quickens our mortal bodies by dwelling in us. So what are we believing? We're believing that God's Spirit can dwell in us to give us a new life, or in other words, to walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
So if we believe that God can empower us to no longer walk after the flesh, which is Romans 7, but walk after the Spirit, which is Romans 8, righteousness will be imputed to us, which is justification. So notice this. We believe that just as God's Spirit raised up Jesus from the dead, we will be raised up to walk in newness of life by God's Spirit dwelling in us. When His Spirit, Spirit dwells in us, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, faith. We are filled with all the fullness of God, and God is exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And that's justification. Notice that. Just, so righteousness is imputed to us when we believe that Christ can dwell in our hearts, that we will be filled with all the fullness of God, and God will do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So we're believing that we'll walk after the Spirit and have God's Spirit in us. So that then makes sense to say those are the people that are now no longer under condemnation. They walk not after the flesh, which is Romans 7. They walk after the Spirit. So when Paul says in Romans 4, righteousness will be imputed to us as well if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. We're not believing, oh, that's nice, Jesus got raised from the dead, but I'm just going to keep doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things that I want to do, but at least I'm righteous. No. Same power that raised up Jesus from the dead allows him to put his spirit in us to walk in newness of life. What kind of a new life is that? Well, it walks after the spirit. What does that mean? God's spirit dwells in us. What happens when God's spirit dwells in us? Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. We are filled with all the fullness of God, and God does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And that's justification by faith. And it's the third angel's message, which God raised up the second advent movement to finish. So that's Romans 8. Now we're through verse 11. And we'll pick it up from there. But I'm telling you, the book of Romans is powerful, and it needs to be studied more. We all need to study Romans more and realize the power that God has for his people, and to realize, hey, God raised up the Second Advent movement to have the Romans experience. And if you wonder why Romans is so misunderstood and so attacked, it's because the devil knows that the book of Romans has the power of the gospel to take down modern-day spiritual Rome, just as Martin Luther used the concepts of this book to take down Rome back in the Reformation, God will use his last-day people to use these teachings to take down spiritual Rome at the end of the world. And God will put enmity between his people and the devil if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Let's be faithful.